Welcome to the Veterinary Pulse podcast. My name is Jordan Benchia. I'm the executive director of the VIN Foundation. Veterinary Pulse is the heartbeat of the profession. Join us as we talk with veterinary colleagues about critical topics from student debt to mental health and share stories. Stories connect us as humans, as animals, as a veterinary community. This podcast is made possible through individual donors like yourself and our technology partnership with VIN, the Veterinary Information Network. Thank you for being here. This episode, VIN Foundation board member, Dr. Matt Holland is having a conversation with Dr. Quincy Holly and Renee Machel about the state of well-being in the veterinary profession. They openly share struggles with mental health and their journey towards happiness. Please check the episode notes for bios, links, and information mentioned. Thank you for listening. All right. Well, welcome, Quincy and Renee. Thanks for joining me this morning. Thank you for having us. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I met Quincy a few weeks ago, and I, <laughs> which sounds recent, but I only just met <laughs> Renee a few minutes ago. So. Um, <laughs> So would you share your stories with me? Where, where were you born and raised and how you got here today? Yeah, Renee, you want to start? Sure, sure. So I grew up in Detroit Metro, Michigan. And my first practice was in Romulus, Michigan. I was there for 11 years at my first practice, raised in the field. I started out in kennels and I moved to the different areas of the hospital up to a leadership role within the clinic. And then I moved to North Carolina in 2011 and was at a few different practices here in North Carolina. Our, my last practice, I met Dr. Quincy Hawley. And early on in my career, I struggled greatly with my well-being. And I had a number of different diagnoses that like anxiety and depression and insomnia, chronic back pain that really as an early 20 year old going through college and new into their career, you know, I felt like I didn't, you know, why am I facing this? And so I didn't want my life to be like that. And I wasn't hundred percent sure what I was looking for, but I knew that what I had at the moment wasn't it. And so the closest thing I could you know, put my finger on was happiness. And so I went out on a journey really by myself. This is fairly early in 2000s when the internet was you know, becoming more accessible. And I educated myself in a lot of different areas of life and really made some big shifts to my mindset and my habits and overall to my life, in which case, you know, brought me off of the medications, got me to a place where I was really thriving. So, you know, when I met Dr. Hawley, we had started to share our stories with each other. And at that time, you know, we were were both in a really great place in our lives where we were stable and we were thriving. And when other people would ask us about our stories, we both recognized that it wasn't, you know, just us individually, but instead it was a part of the collective, you know, industry. A lot of people in different places were experiencing the same types of things that we had experienced. And so we decided that we are going to start helping people. And it originally began with the idea of a book, but it very quickly morphed into a company and we became certified coaches and speakers. And I'm a, a certified yoga instructor. And we began to create programs uh, to where we structured a lot of the things that worked for us and our clients in a way that other people could replicate so that they could transform their own lives and their own well being and their own careers. And then here we are today. Yeah. Yeah, so so Quincy, just describe to us um, how how you started and how your path eventually crossed with Renee. Absolutely, absolutely. So, born and raised in a small alt town called Oxford, North Carolina, 
And from there, you know, my dad and brother, when I was born, I had 20 beagles. So they were big rabbit hunters. And we lived out in, in the country. So I always see deer and rabbits and squirrels and basically any animal in North Carolina, I probably came across at some point within our, or our within our own yard and things of, things of that nature. So from there, I went on to North Carolina A&T Aggie Pride and I did animal science. And as an animal science major and student, the, the chairman of animal sciences, he asked me if I'd ever thought about going to veterinary school. And I was like, that thought has never crossed my mind. I don't even know how to get to veterinary school. But from there, I really started doing internships with USDA and Elanco Animal Health and with small with a small animal hospital. And from there, really just fell in love with um, veterinary medicine. And I knew that's what I wanted to do um, from, from that point. And kind of fast forward a little bit and went through veterinary school graduated, went to a small animal hospital, small animal practice where, you know, is my first real job as a veterinary student. And um, I did get burnt out there. Didn't even know it was really burnout at the time. I was just experiencing some, just uh, some difficulties and some challenges. And I didn't have any healthy ways of coping with the, the, the stress and the sort of, sort of overwhelm. And even though I was performing and producing as a veterinarian, I was I was struggling internally mostly. So people didn't really know that I was having the hard time that I was having both personally and professionally. And um, maybe we'll get into some details of that a, a bit later um, in, in, in this episode. But I eventually overcame that struggle. And now I, I, I've just found myself living what I consider to be a life of, and it sounds, every time I say it, I'm like, gosh, man, you're so corny. It's all unicorns and rainbows, but <laughs> literally a life of heaven on earth. Like I, I truly enjoy um, being it, being on this, on this life journey. I enjoy my life as a veterinary professional. I have the, in, in my opinion, just the perfect um, setup and I have challenges and struggles daily. I, I fail a lot. I mess up a lot, but that's just a part of the process. And I, I've learned how to cope with those things in, in a very healthy way. Um, a part of, a part of the way I, I met Renee, as she mentioned, we, we worked at the same hospital, my second hospital. She was a technician. I was one of the doctors there. And again, realized we were on very similar paths and um, boom, get motivated. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so <laughs> if I just fast forward just a little bit, <laughs> boom, well, get motivated. <laughs> I'm curious if you like if if both of you, you know, if you if you thought you were just waiting for the right person to meet and then something was going to take off, or if you if it kind of came out of nowhere wow. that you were just doing your thing it, and then the relationship formed and and that's how it happened, yeah. or a mix of both. It it was. I don't think that we were waiting for each other. I think maybe the universe knew we were waiting for each other, but um, we were we were definitely in our own worlds. And but it was through our behaviors that set us a little apart and connected us. So I told this story just a couple of days ago. You know, I was reading a book, or Quincy asked me, "Hey, Renee, what book are you reading?" Um, and, and we got to talking and we very quickly realized that we were both heavily invested in personal development and in researching all of these different people from like ancient philosophers to modern day psychologists and the most successful people in the world, really just trying to better ourselves and, you know, how that looks in practice. And we started working out together on our lunch breaks and having these conversations. And it started with a book idea. We were like, oh, we should just write, you know, we should just write a book about the journey and about almost like um like a plums, you know, but for well-being. And and then we got to talk about it more and more, talking about it more and more. And we realized that while a book may be in our future, we needed 
something more. We wanted to deliver more. We wanted to teach more and, and share more. And, and so our first, uh, our first venture was speaking. And then our second venture was CE seminars. And so these things, our company really has blossomed so organically through the ideas that we have and the conversations, you know, that we have with people. And I think a big part of it too is our drive to really help the profession uh, more importantly than anything. Like we both struggled and um, my struggle, it was so, so, so let me go back to my story just a little bit, yeah. but I, since I didn't have any of the, the healthy coping mechanisms and the tools and the strategies and the tactics and the resources and the principles that I've got now as a veterinary professional and as a human, back then I turned to alcohol. I turned to smoking and I turned to just eating. And so I gained a lot of weight, maybe about 30 pounds in the first year or so of being a practicing veterinarian. And I would literally leave work. I go to the first gas station I'd see on the way home, I get an alcoholic beverage, pour it in a cup and I would drink and drive on the way home. And I would smoke a, a black and mild on the way home. And um, then when I got home, there was more alcohol there. And I would uh, take a few shots from the trunk of a parked car there before I went in to face my family. And um, it was, I was effectively ruining my, my marriage. I was living what I consider a subpar life of mediocrity. It was very, very private, as I mentioned earlier. So my coworkers didn't know. I'm not even sure my wife knew the extent of the pain and hurt that I was just, just experiencing. And you know, it wasn't the fault of my the 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 hospital I worked at. It wasn't the fault of my boss. It wasn't the fault of um, my family, it wasn't my fault. It was, it was just, no one was to blame. It, it was kind of the, this was kind of the result of a system and a system that doesn't include the importance of well being and mental health and its natural progression of these people coming out of high school, going into undergrad as pre veterinary students and matriculating through a really rigorous curriculum. And then going oftentimes into jobs that are relatively stressful, right? Like you're you're going to war with no no war training and no weapons and no no army. Essentially, you're just kind of thrown out there in a sense. I know things are starting to change a little bit, and I, I know we'll get into that. But um, that that pain that I experienced, I had suicidal ideation um, as, as well. I think Renee, more importantly. Um, we, we didn't want other people to have to go through that if they didn't have to go yeah. through that. Like if we didn't want to see people struggling because they just didn't know the things that we had learned and found out in books and audio books and YouTube videos and through classes and trainings and, you know, and re really investing in our mental health and well-being. And so well, that was, that was a big part yeah. of, of everything, the drive, the determination, like Renee and I literally went door to door to hospitals in North Carolina. And we didn't even know what we were doing. We were just like, let's just do something. Right, Renee? Right. I think, you know, like I said, when I was struggling, it was in the early 2000s. And I had to go on this very lonely journey, uh, you know, lifting every rock and every pebble. And like Quincy said, or, you know, that like Dr. Holly said, that it's not accessible to people. We're in a system. And so we wanted to bring an alternative to people. There is an alternative. You know, we at some point subscribe to the belief that this is just life. This is the way that it is. This is the way that it has to be. You might look to your left or your right and see your neighbor or your peer, whether they're struggling or whether they're not struggling, you know, it just is. But what we're not only just suggesting, but what we're teaching, what we're sharing with people is how to live an alternative life, how to transform your life. You know, for me, I did not want to be on a, 
a handful of medications. I was taking medications both pharmaceutically and over the counter for every symptom that I was having and counteracting all of the other symptoms that were coming along with the, the ailments that I was still symptomatic from, as well as the side effects from the meds. So, you know, for me, there was this really pivotal moment that I said, enough is enough. They wanted to add another medication and I said, enough is enough. You know, this can't be the only way it can't be the only way. And so when we set out on that journey, you know, we want to bring these things to people's fingertips because we know as veterinary professionals, whether you're a technician, like I am, or whether you're a practicing veterinarian or a vet student, or even a pre-vet student, we know that people are busy and they're more fragmented than ever. And people need simple solutions that they can easily access and incorporate into their lives in a really tangible way. And step-by-step they will transform because that's just the basics of modeling behavior. You, you know, that's the scientific theory. If you do these certain things, you're bound to get this result. Right. And so that's what we really wanted to create for people because like, like Dr. Holly said, you know, you, there is an option. You, you don't have to live in that pain and in that darkness, you know, for the rest of your life. You don't have to feel that there is an option to, you know, to recover and to heal and to have these conversations. But for us, when we were going through it, you know, like I said, I was early 2000s. And so people weren't having these conversations. You know, I mean, I had them with the closest of people. And even like Dr. Holly said, people didn't know how bad it really was for me. Yeah, and you you both have each mentioned the system. I'm putting air quotes around that, big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mm-hmm. I'm curious what changes um, you would like to see in the system. And that goes, yeah, it reaches back to pre-vet and, and then it also extends to well into um, people's veterinary careers. And not just doctors, obviously, like anybody in the profession. Um, how how would you like to see the system change to better support wellness? Yeah, so I can touch on that. What I, what I know for sure is that well being, if you're going to have it, whatever that happens to be, I, I define well being as the intentionally created state of being happy, healthy, and prosperous as a result of practicing frequent, deliberate personal development and self-care. I also look at well-being as being a set of skills, tools, strategies, resources, principles, and tactics that allows you to get your way in life. And in, in, in our case, veterinary medicine, because if you have that ability, if you have that skill set to create an ideal, to create something in your mind, well, you're not going to create something with burnout. And you're not going to create something that you hate and that's, that's, that's filled with overwhelm and stress and all these different things, burnout and all of its friends. You're not going to create that. You would create something much better. And so I believe that if we're going to... Um, if we're going to, as a community, as the veterinary community, get to a place where people have that set of, set of, set of um, tools and strategies, it ha- has to be a prioritization. There has to be, it has to be priority. People have to see the importance. They have to know and understand in their heart of hearts the importance of prioritizing well-being and that it's not just something really fluffy that only people who like to meditate and do yoga do or that only people who like to eat salads with grilled chicken and exercise once a day and go for a jog and walk in the park like no this is something that people who want to enjoy their lives as humans and as veterinary professionals do for a living and um and as, as it relates to the system, this is going to have to be something that I believe that the individual prioritizes for themselves, but I believe organizations and organizational leaders have a duty and an obligation and a responsibility, both ethically and morally, to provide resources for their 
teams and to not think that that stress and overwhelm burnout in veterinary medicine is just the way that it is and that it has to be. You know, I think with well-being and I'm going to, you know, go on those tales that Dr. Holly was saying and kind of work backwards is that we have to be intentional with it. We have to be intentional with the desire to prioritize it, but more importantly, we have to personalize it. So well-being as an industry or for an individual or for a specific organization isn't a blanket statement. You really have to take the principles and the tools and the strategies and apply them to your life, to your organization. And it has to be consistent and adapting, right? We know that what's going to work in 2020 isn't going to work in 2021 and then moving forward year by year. But even on the smaller scale, what's going to work day to day might not work, you know, week to week. And so we have to be willing to adapt and change, but also keep it really personal. And so we have to be willing to get a little vulnerable, get a little uncomfortable and put the magnifying glass on ourselves, put the magnifying glass on our organizations with a little introspection and compassion to, you know, really analyze, take some inventory of where are we? Because my motto is start where you are. And so you, you've got to take stock of where are you and where do you want to go? I think, you know, as a system, one of the disservices that I feel is, is a challenge to most children and adults is the question of, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up, mm. right? If we take that one question and we apply it to a five-year-old or a fifth grader or a teenager, and we say, you get to be one thing for the rest of your life. To me, that was what caused a lot of my misalignment growing up because I could not decide. And so I felt, you know, really disconnected from even just myself. And so, you know, we have to look at ourselves and our organizations to say, you know, it's not just one thing. We know that. And that's really important. It's not just one thing. It's not just about the money. It's not just about the staff. It's about all of these things. And so to apply that lens with compassion, knowing that, you know, we're not looking to create a lot of criticism. Um, we know that it's going to be uncomfortable, but, you know, it's not that it's to anyone's fault. It's not to say that, you know, if as a practice manager, you reach out to a company like Get Motivated, you know, to, to be a resource for your people, it's not to say that you're doing anything wrong. In fact, it's to say that you're doing something really great. You know, you're investing in yourself and you're investing in the team, but it's to acknowledge the fact that, we can't be everything for everyone. You know, we're humans first and then we are our role, whatever that role may be, second. And so we really have to rehumanize the industry and take a look and say, okay, you know, what's the formula that's causing the burnout? You know, is it the high number of cases? And as a practice, let's just run with that example hypothetically, that if as a practice, we are seeing a high number of appointments per day, per, you know, team, be it their doctors, their, you know, staff techs, whatever the, the case is, if that is happening, what can be done to change it? So if we want better answers, we've got to best, we've got to ask better questions. Yeah. And so, you know, and then to understand, again, it's not a blanket statement. So what works for Quincy might not work for, you know, Amy and what works for, right. So we've got to be willing to say, it's, it's all right. That if you have 20 staff members, that, that 20 staff members don't work the same schedule. It's okay that, you know, one staff member works through, you know, three 11 hour shifts and the other staff member works four eight hour shifts, you know, rather than saying, okay, Hey guys, 20 people, this is the, you know, this is the way that we work and now create your life around that. Instead, let's look at people as holistic individuals and, and then adapt around that. Right. I mean, that's been, that's been something that's so is proven to be becoming more valuable to people is time rather than money. 
Um, and so, you know, really just looking at things on those holistic scales, on those individual scales, but you've got to start really gross and then you refine, right? So if you start where you are and you start with a really big picture and then you can kind of refine down to where you guys say, okay, November of 2020, then we'll start to look at the individual, you know, schedules. But in January of 2020 or 2021 or whatever the case is, right? You would start with, okay, what's the number of cases? What, where are we at with the clinic? You know, and you just kind of start really gross and then you refine that that vision and then you work with it and you adapt with it and you change with it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That, a lot of that resonates with me. And, you know, you mentioned like what works for one person might not work for another and what works for mm-hmm. another might not work for the one person. And well, yeah. um, it reminds me of uh, the VIN foundation had a vision years ago to, to provide similar support with vets for vets and support for a support. So for veterinary support staff and, um, and then it reminds me of what, Quincy said earlier about how, um, you know, part of the change that he'd like to see is more, more of this come from leadership, you know, from top down, not bottom up. And and it does, I agree with both of you when you say it, part of it needs to come from, uh, from a personal level. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I recently, um, very recently last year went through, um, some mental health challenges and was hospitalized for it and um, got a diagnosis of bipolar two um, and uh, am now uh, in a much better place. And um, I think the biggest thing I learned through it all was that it starts, it starts with me, you know, it, it reminds me of when I um, went to vet school. It's one thing to want to go to vet school it's another thing to put in the work and it's like a, it's like a diet or an exercise routine or any habit that you want to form. It's one thing to want it. And it's another thing to work toward it. And right. um, that I, I apply the same thing to my own personal well-being. Um, and like we've been saying, it's, you know, the recipe for, for me. So what I apply to myself mm-hmm. might not apply to anybody else. Um, and And that's so powerful, right? Because now that you have this nugget of information, you can advocate for yourself, but it takes a lot of courage to advocate for yourself, right? Like if you're in an environment, if you're in an organization that views that as a problem, that views that as a weakness or, you know, views that as something that can't be uh, accommodated to, you know, that's a really big issue, right? And so if we as a society, can make it completely socially acceptable and protected under employment laws for people to have cigarette breaks, smoke breaks regularly throughout the day. How is it so unfathomable that we can't have breaks for people to get fresh air, to meditate, to work in a room with less blaring lights, you know, um, to, to, to have a different caseload, to, you know, to accommodate those different needs so that we can be more inclusive because with or without a diagnosis, we are individuals that just function differently and it doesn't devalue when it doesn't change your capabilities or, you know, your competency. In fact, it's just a different, you know, it's just a different recipe. Yeah. I, uh, I, both wholeheartedly agree with you and also have some cynical thoughts about why we can't make those changes to society. Tell, uh, tell me about Well, that. hearkening back to my time spent in DC um, working on the Hill, uh, you know, knowing, knowing what influences legislation and, and mm. you, you're talking about, you know, like smoke mm. breaks. Well, mm-hmm. you know, who, who gets to, who gets access to the people who make laws? Um, so we don't have to get into that. Yeah. That could be an entirely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and one other thing that I would throw in there too, when, when it relates to systemic change, I, I honestly think that there, there has to be at some point um, more transparency and clarity around kind of what Matt said in regards to putting in the work as it relates to well-being, as it relates to being burnout-free, 
you know, the hospital, they can, they can decrease the, the caseload. They can implement a lot of different measures, but I don't think that alone, and I don't think, I don't think we're saying that, but I don't think that that can really solve the, the, the issue there is so much self-work that has to be done. And if we're not able to go and say, Hey, I have this problem as an individual, I have, I have this challenge on a problem. I have this challenge or this growth opportunity as a veterinary technician or veterinarian. And I'm going to go to work on this thing, just like I would have in veterinary school. One of our, our student representatives from Purdue, Juliana Fournette, she says that she works as hard on her well-being as she would for an A on an exam in veterinary school. And that that mentality, that mindset can't be, be not talked about. And sometimes I believe that maybe we're, we're, we're not sugarcoating what it takes. And I know it's different for everyone and that for person A, maybe they only need a walk or, or for person A, maybe they only need a, a you know, a, an extra vacation a year. But I think that sometimes the, the solutions that are very mainstream are very superficial as to what it really takes to uh, solve some of the, the life and veterinary challenges that you may have as an individual. For me personally, um, I'm I'm not sure that, uh, you know, a gym membership or, you know, an extra vacation or um, sleeping an extra two or three hours would have literally gotten me to where I am today. And oftentimes when we think about those, those, those blanket strategies that are out there, it's like take more vacation, you know, work less hours or do this or that. And those things are all good. I love vacation. I, I really do. Ooh, I want to go back to Jamaica again, just live there for the rest of my life. Yeah, I really but it's, do. Yeah, it's kind of a watered down approach, right? Um, it, yeah. it, it is a watered down approach. I read 60 books mm-hmm. in 10 months. And until this day, I have 180 books behind me on my bookshelf. I've got, I believe, over or, um, over 50 books on my audio book, um, on my audio. Amazon Audible phone phone platform. I've got, I've got 20 something books on my Kindle. I go to work for my yeah. well-being. And it just makes sense. It's very, very basic to me that the version of Quincy, right? I've got the same sort of overall mental health. I've got the same upbringing. I've got the same challenges that if there's a version of me who doesn't do any of that, and there's a version of me who does all of that, that the version that, that does all of that is going to be more effective when times get tough, when COVID comes, when you've got to do three or four euthanasias, or you have a day where three or four people call out and you've got to do more work and you end up staying late at the hospital. I've got healthy ways to process that because I went to town, because I, I've been taking massive action over the past four or five years. And most of the people who I know are able to handle um, life's challenges and struggles, who are able to see advantages and disadvantages, who, who are able to find opportunity in chaos, who are able to get better instead of bitter, who are able to grow through life instead of go through life, they put in a significant right. amount of work. And so I always challenge people that if you've got a challenge out there, first and foremost, my heart goes out to you because I know how dark and difficult things can be. Do you know what I hear, be. Quincy? It's, you know, the, it's, the, it's the client with the allergy case who comes and says, I've tried everything, right? So when we're talking about well-being, if we look at ourselves as the clients who come to us and say, <laughs> my dog has allergies, I've tried everything. And we say, okay, what did you try? And they said, you know, well, I gave them steroids last week, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lack of effort in some ways. And it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's um, persistence. It's perseverance. It's having the support system. It's doing the work. I call it life work. You know, like you said, I mean, the time that we've invested in our own well-being as well as other people's, you know, it's, it's not going to be solved in a day, um, but it can be started in a day. 
you know, and so you've, you know, you've got to have the mindset that it's okay to weave. It's okay to sort of, um, to fall back to a default, you know, and, and recognize that you're, ha- you're a human, you're, it's going to happen, but can you get back up and keep going? Can you continue forth to where if today or if this hour you didn't make the best choice, can you make your next choice better? It's well, well-being is a state right, right. that it's a state of mind. It's a state of being, and it's, it largely starts with choices. And so if you can, you know, just keep making different choices that support your well-being, even if you make a choice and, you know, it's, it's very default, you know, maybe you snap at a coworker or maybe you snapped at a loved one, you know, and then that fueled a fight and then that fueled a sleepless night. And then that fueled a really bad day at work tomorrow, right? You can, in reflection, recognize that, okay, that's an area where I can't change the past, but can I make a better choice next time? Yeah, this this discussion around work reminds me of a song that was playing last night. Uh, uh, it, I think the line went, I never minded working hard, it's who I'm working for. And my first thought was, oh, you know, good boss, bad boss, um, mm-hmm. or good company, bad company. But then I thought, well, what if that means working for myself? And, you know, how many of us in the veterinary field right, right. Give, give ourselves away to the detriment of our own self-care? You know, we work harder for other people, other animals than, than we work for ourselves. And it, is that formula it's- sustainable? You're right. It's the caregivers. So that's, and that's, you know, we know through whether it's caregivers in the veterinary industry, or we work with Dr. Feldman, who comes from the first responders uh, and the, the, the industry of, um, you know, military and, and police and ambulance, uh, you know, EMTs. We know that through all these other different industries, caregivers absolutely do that, you know? And so what, a, a really sound message is the oxygen mask theory. You can't give what you don't have. And so it's high time that we as veterinary professionals start to prioritize ourselves first so that we can better serve the animals so that we can better serve our community and our, our industry. Because, and, and I think, uh, you know, yeah, go ahead. Just because without it, we deplete, like you said, you know, it's a disservice to not only ourselves, but to the people around us. Yeah. And I think that one thing that we kind of understand and get motivated and that a lot of people in the profession understand, especially the the thought leaders and the the speakers who speak on well-being, the the different well-being organizations out there is how to, um, it's the multifaceted approach, but I, I also think that in terms of systemic change, a lot of people still don't even know. You know, Maya Angelou has a quote that says, do the best that you can until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. But for me, for example, it was all, almost by chance that I came across the information, right? It's almost by chance that I came across the, the well-being information. I had to go to the veterinary, AVMA's Veterinary Leadership Conference to, to learn about terms like compassion fatigue and burnout. I found out about it there. I saw that they had the Future Leaders Program where they were talking about, you know, this and that and the other. And it wasn't my hospital organization who brought to me like, hey, bro, there's just there's this whole toolbox of information and knowledge that can really help you get your way in life in veterinary medicine. It was almost by chance that I discovered those things. And so a big part of Get Motivated's mission is to do whatever it takes to reach everybody, to do whatever it takes to reach the, 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 the corner of the world, the, the, the veterinary hospital, that's you know out in the middle of nowhere to make sure that they've got the opportunity to to learn about this stuff and while while they're you know slaving away trying to help every animal and client that they can and so oftentimes it's, it's not that people are choosing to 
uh, choosing lack of effort or choosing, you know, to to choosing poor well-being or pseudo well-being or whatever it happens to be, it's just that the information isn't out there that this is the base, this is the foundation of what it takes to get yourself from point A, which may be struggle, to point B. And so, uh, for example, before this podcast recording, I was on the phone calling hospitals. Like, I mean, it's it's not at the most fun work. It may not be the most effective way of reaching a large amount of people, but it's we mean business, and we we mean business, and we will do whatever it takes to to reach those people so that they can hear the stories, so that they can get access to. Um, the, the information that may be life changing for them. Yeah, you mentioned that you stumbled upon some potentially life changing information by chance. I I kind of feel the same way for me. Uh, I I I found the most help through uh, a woman named Dr. Michelle Gaspar, um, and she's she's with the Vets for Vets that I mentioned earlier. And she also happens to be Chicago based. So when I was struggling and not finding, um, not finding improvement through um, the, the means that I had been you know, told would help, um, she, she took the time and energy to really understand what I was going through and really look for trained professionals who um, who could work with me and help me. And I, I'm, you know, I can't imagine many other scenarios where I would have, I feel like I would have stumbled on that information. And, and yeah, sometimes, um, sometimes it takes a little bit of luck too, I suppose. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm so happy to hear that, that, you know, you were able to connect with someone. I think, um, there's whether, you know, you had the intention to meet with her or whether it, I think, you know, seek and you shall find, right? So if you had just even the slightest inclination that, you know, this isn't working and I need to find something else, I think that's important, right? Rather than just accepting, like I said earlier, you know, this is just how it is and I'm just going to live my life like this. And, you know, who knows, maybe it's going to be a really short life. It sounds like we've all had some pretty dark days. Um, <laughs> but, you know, just that tiniest inclination that says, I need to find something else. This isn't working, right? And, and to go about it in the right way and to just keep lifting those rocks. Yeah, yeah, and I heard, I heard you just say, um, you know, uh, we, what, what we need to do um, in, order to, in order to move forward just a little bit. And then I heard Quincy say earlier, um, you know, the, when I asked about, you know, what needs to change in the system, he said, you know, maybe a little bit has mm -hmm. changed, but there's more to go. Like, and maybe this is just a different way of asking the same question. What, what is the profession doing well and um, what can or should it do better? I think having these conversations is a fantastic start. So, you know, we know that there are, there's the well-being summit, right? We know that there are companies and, you know, organizations that are not just having the conversation and bringing together these people and highlighting them, right? Like Dr. Gaspar, um, the more individuals that we have. And so that's where it's this merging approach through individuals and through leadership that will eventually revolutionize things for the, you know, the people. Um, it's the merging approach to where if you think of it almost like, have you got, this is going to be fun. You guys, have you guys watched X-Men where there's Cerebro <laughs> and he puts on, you haven't seen X-Men? No. Stop it. Oh my gosh. No. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh okay so the movie x-men xavier is you know he's telepathic i believe and so he puts on this machine and he's able to connect with all of the mutants in on the globe and all all of these little lights light up in this um in this almost like an auditorium 
And, you know, you, you think about it like that, right? So there's all these little tiny individuals that if we begin to highlight and bring shed light on, they bring the light and the darkness kind of fades. And so you have the individuals and you have the leaders and it all merges together. And so I think that, you know, the veterinary industry is doing the conversations. We're having these conversations like this podcast right here, you know, creating the budget lines to where, you know, people are willing to invest in it, um, bringing people together, opening it up to not just veterinarians, whether it's statistics, research studies, or whether it's just the availability for a technician or a veterinary assistant, someone who's non-licensed, a kennel, you know, staff member, a receptionist, a boarding staff member, um, is able to, you know, access the same types of tools and services that the veterinarians get to, to access. So, and those things are starting to happen. You know, it's a big ship to turn. So I think that, you know, those things are really great to, to get that moving in the right direction. Um, and, and just blending a lot of the, the resources that are out there. Quincy and I, with Get Motivated, we work on a collaborative plane. In the space of well-being, we don't operate from a place of, you know, competitiveness. We believe that the mission is to, to minimize, if not eliminate, poor well-being. And so by doing that, it's going to take, it's going to take as many possible people. And so to us, it's more of a movement, you know, and if you can join, whether it's join the get motivated movement or join the well-being movement, eventually magic will happen and it will take on this life of its own and and it will become easier and easier for people to begin to infuse their practices infuse their universities with curriculum and just spaced out time or you know whatever works for that organization you know that would make it just a little bit better right? We're not asking for things to do a 360 overnight, but we're just saying, you know, can we get 10% happier? Can we get, you know, X degrees better? Um, and, you know, there's a Zen proverb, I think Quincy kind of alluded to another thing earlier. It's just, you know, you chop wood, you carry water, you reach enlightenment, you chop wood, you carry water. So even when things are good, you know, just like the dogs, you know, if you get better, it's because they're taking the meds, keep taking the meds, don't stop taking, you know, the don't stop the therapy because you're better, right? So if you've reached a, a state of well being, keep going, and keep sharing and, and keep having these conversations, you know, the cog, we don't want that cog to get rusted. And, um, you know, kind of halt up, right, we want to see it continuing to move forward and become even more lubricated. Yeah, the so so I agree completely. Um, I'm just going to go back to the very first part of your answer, the X Men part, because it reminded it reminded me of. Well, I mean, I already took it to politics once, so once once you break the seal, um, I'll I'll do it again. It reminds me of the Amanda Gorman poem from last week, um, where she says at the very end, "For there is always light if we're only brave enough to see it, if we're only brave enough to be it." Um, yeah. And I cheated and pulled that up uh, during during the recording. I didn't have that memorized, but but I I think that's right. Like if we if we can be our own light, then it'll be a lot easier for the you know for the profession to light up too. Yeah, and I, I think that um, as Renee alluded to, that a lot is being done um, in terms of well-being and mental health in the veterinary community. I know a lot of the, the AAVMC, they've got um, basically mental health professionals in all the different veterinary schools. Uh, I think that's just absolutely fantastic. And um, I, I know that, you know, AVMA is doing stuff and Zoetis is doing a lot of stuff. And Vin is obviously doing a lot of stuff. And it, there are a lot of different people um, popping up. So I believe that just through time alone, we will eventually get to where we need to be if we just stay the course. But in terms of the speed by which that will happen, the amount of 
struggle and stress and burnout and maybe even lives lost. In terms of those numbers of people who suffer over the next, whatever the time frame happens to be until we kind of get it together, that we just have to remember a few things that, you know, effort is grossly underrated. I think that that, is, that comes from Gary Vee and that it's not going to be easy. There are going to be a lot of challenges along the way. And um, just to remember that better better days are are ahead and for us to really start to empower each other that um, we can have the lives that we want for ourselves, both as veterinary professionals and as um, humans, humans first and then veterinary professionals second. But I, I really do believe, and I'll kind of go back to this one more time, that I, th I think we're going to have to change sort of the definitions of well-being and what they are in order for people to really take to them on a mass scale, which is what we really need for people to be happy. I still think there's a, a huge stigma as it relates to well-being. It's being something that, um, you know, that people uh, need to do who just want to be more Zen or something like that, right? And that mental health is for, for, for crazy people. That, that, that stigma is still out there. And um, especially for a lot of the, the, the leaders of the hospitals where they see this as we've, we've already got something for that. We've already got an EAP or we've got health insurance. And the, there's the lack of knowledge of what well-being really is. And to me, again, it's the ability to just get your way in life and in veterinary medicine is the ability, the set of skills to create the exact life that you want for yourself. And I think that when people really get that on a mass scale, that there will be more desire to want to go towards well-being because they'll realize it's not just for people who want a six pack. It's not just for people who want to, to lose weight and who want to learn how to meditate and do yoga because not everybody wants to do those things. But as it stands, a lot of the programs that we see in the veterinary schools, you know, I, I, I speak a lot at the veterinary schools, right? And so oftentimes they'll have a wellness program, a well-being program, whatever it happens to be. And it is highly, 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 highly like physical well-being based. And that is going to miss the people who have have no desire to jog or do crunches or anything else or do some of those other things. It's going to completely miss those people. And, um, and so I think there needs to be a little bit of reform there in terms of like what yeah. is well-being and how can each person use that? How is it beneficial yeah. to the average Joe who has a pretty good life? Like I'm not, I'm not suicidal. I'm not drinking and driving. I'm not smoking. I'm not going home and yelling at my kids every single day. What well-being is still right. so vitally beneficial even to that individual. And we have to put it out mm -hmm. in that way. When we spoke a few weeks ago for the first time, Quincy, I think we talked about how um everybody should have a doctor, everybody should have a dentist, everybody should have a therapist, you know, like remove the stigma. It, it's not, right. it's not a problem to have a therapist that, you know, in, in some regards, I think it's a problem to not have a mm -hmm. therapist. Yeah. I was, I was watching, you know, athlete, that's the thing is athletes and we'll say, you know, what America views as successful people, um, they have coaches. The coaches have coaches. Yeah. High performers have coaches. How is it that in our industry, coaches are not a thing? How is it in our industry, you know, that stigma around therapy is, is still there? And so let, that's where I think that the conversations do help, right? Because it does break down the barriers and it does connect people, um, but it needs to be more because there is still a stigma around mental health and well-being and therapy and the, you know, approaches that get you to a place of recovery or being well. And, you know, like Dr. Holly said, the, the leaders in the organizations like the hospital settings or, you know, is there time? They have a mindset of, you know, well, if anyone had time for that, right. Or, 
we have a health insurance plan. And so their mindset is that it's something that it's not that well-being is something that is, you know, right. is your cholesterol low, but you know, we know that that's the right. sense of well-being oh, yeah. is, is not that. And so through we as veterinary professionals have quality of life discussions with our patients day in and day out. And we don't just talk about their kidney values. We talk about how, you know, do they feel confident walking around the house as a geriatric patient or are they, you know, fearful? Do they live in fear or, you know, and so we look at a, a holistic view when we're speaking of the patients, why can't we turn that same view onto us? Recognize that the quality of our lives do matter. The quality of our minds matter and the quality of our experiences matter. And those things all go hand in hand and the ability to raise the ability to improve our quality of mind, our quality of experience and our quality of life is available to us through certain tools and strategies, right? And if we can make all of these things interconnected, like the conversations and the budget line and the time and the, just the simple, you know, acceptance of it, you know, just the simple, um, ability to say, sure, that'll work. You know, um, do we want to bring that in? Do we want to embrace that? You know, is it something that maybe I won't use, but my staff will, you know, is it just all of the different things that would have to, it's like a puzzle piece, you know, it's a, it's a big puzzle and you've got to put all of these little pieces in it to, to make well-being happen. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, uh, kind of something you both, you both were saying in um, some of your recent answers, you know, Quincy was talking about how if, <clears throat> you know, like if we stay the course, then I think we're in good shape. But Renee, what you were just talking about, like, like continuing to put in the work, like that is also a part of staying the course is, is actively paying attention to yourself. Mm -hmm. It's not just right. Like I'm, I'm, I no longer struggle with anxiety and depression, but I know darn well that I am we'll say sort of, I don't know if it's predisposed or I, I'm more apt to get, um, you know, they, they knock on my door. Susceptible. Yeah. I'm more susceptible to, to them being a bigger part of my life than what say my fiance is right. He's an entrepreneur and he goes through many of the things that I go through, but he doesn't um, you know, he doesn't have the same type of anxiety knocking on his door every day. And so the, the well-being work that I have to do versus the well-being work that he has to do looks really different. Um, and when I talk to, you know, we, we talked to a chief of staff who at the practice that I was at, you know, and she said, wait, you were on anxiety medicine or, you know, you struggled with anxiety. And I said, absolutely. Right. Or even, um, because it, there's such a transformation. And so to talk about it, she, just talking about it, she's like, wait, so there's an option to, you know, to, to be, to be less anxious, <laughs> you know? And, and so then through, you know, I mean, even I think she was in her fifties, you know, she just, she was like, oh, I, I can do these different things. And I can, you know, I can create the space in my life for a different type of work. I can create movies. the space in my life for a different type of relationship. I can create the space in my life to change my financial picture. You know, I can create the space in my life to visit Disney more because I freaking love Disney, <laughs> you know? And, and so those things are all are available, but you know, that's how people connect. Right. Um, and, and that's how people reduce the stigma is that there are different ways and there, there are people still in the roles that you're in, even with those struggles, right? So, you know, Quincy and I talk about all the time that through this podcast, someone out there listening might resonate with Matt and his story. And there's just something about him that they say, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe I can be um, I can be a veterinary professional, or maybe I can be a board member to a company, even though I experience this, right? 
Um, and so I think that, that there's something really powerful in knowing that it's possible to do something different. And that, you know, when we look back at the systems, you know, me just being a tech, right? I could just think of little old me. I'm just a tech from, you know, Michigan. But Wayne Dyer was from Michigan. And, you know, in the well being space, Wayne Dyer is, you know, he was a psychologist for many years. And then he began to become an author. And he's um, almost like a godfather when it comes to the, the space of well-being and some of the, you know, so, so just to, to take, like Dr. Holly said, to take ourselves out of the victim mode, to really empower ourselves, to empower each other, right? It takes a lot to believe in yourself, but if we can believe in each other, sometimes that's a little bit easier. And sometimes that's a little bit more available. And so if, if we can believe in each other and if we can root for each other, that just might get you off the ground and, you know, get you sailing where you need to go. And then your self-belief kicks in. Um, Dr. Holly has a fantastic way of elevating people. And, you know, when we look at um, what bonds people, when you go into a practice, you know, it's very common that people are sharing stories over the weekend, but oftentimes there's studies. We have, you know, 50,000 thoughts a day and 50% of those thoughts are negative. 80% of those thoughts are repetitive. And so our self-talk is not serving us. And therefore the conversations we're having at home or in the, the practice, you know, you're kind of bonding over negativity, right? You kind of one up, oh, wait until you hear about this client that I had, or wait until you hear about what my husband did. But what if we flip the script, you know, really simply saying, you know, what, what, can, what are, what are you grateful for? What was the highlight of your weekend? What was the, you know, what has your partner done for you that really took something off of your plate? Um, what has your team member done for you that's taken something off of your plate and made your day easier? You know, can we bring gratitude into these things, these kind of conversations? That that reminds me of uh, of something we did um, around my dinner table growing up. We would share a favorite part of the day, and growing up, I didn't think much of it. It actually was kind of annoying um, when <laughs> when we had to do it because mm -hmm. I didn't always. Didn't always My have something so <laughs> that came readily to, to mind, but I think, I mean, now I'm, I'm grateful for that practice because I think it was training my little brain to, um, to get yeah. in that mindset. So, well, then that's how, that's how we'll end the, the show today. Um, uh, what, what are you grateful for as this new year begins? I'm really grateful for the connections that we've made along the way. That's something, you know, when we set out, I think it's a really happy byproduct of, you know, we wanted, when we began speaking, that was sometimes terrifying, but something that always helped ground me was just it's a conversation and if I can just help one person or inspire one person. Um, but we, we really have made such fantastic connections and I really appreciate meeting people like you and Jordan and, and bringing this information to people's fingertips. And that's something you know, that I'm very grateful for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll leave you all with this. So uh, one of my favorite books of all time is um, The Science of Being Great by Wallace Waddles. Read that one over a hundred times. And um, there's a principle at the very end um, from Ralph Waldo Emerson. And he says that, um, well, Wallace says that the world is perfect, but it's not yet complete. And so I've extrapolated that out. And I say that the veterinary profession is perfect the way it is, it's just not yet complete. And that there is a grand completed masterpiece that is, is, is in our future. 
and he can compare it to, you know, the, the, you can go from the egg to the worm, from the worm to the fly. And I still believe that we're in the early phases of veterinary medicine, it's really not that old. And it's already awesome and it has so many awesome parts. And so I'm grateful for those, um, even in the egg form. But once we hatch out of that, and do we go through the cocoon or the worm or the caterpillar phase, however you want to look at it. Once we get to the butterfly phase or the completed form of the veterinary profession, that's what I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for the, the masterpiece that, has, that, that, is, that is yet to come. And I know that it's coming, be it in 10 years or a hundred years. And I'm just so grateful um, for that moment and for the people who will get to experience um, the, 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 the veterinary profession that we're fighting for right here, right now in 2021, right here on this podcast with Matt and Renee and myself, maybe someone in a hundred years is like, dang, man, they were spot on. So I'm grateful for that. Okay. Well, if, if you're not optimistic after hearing that, then I'm not sure. I'm not sure what could do that for you. So um, thank you, Quincy. Thank you, Renee, for joining us. And I uh, hope to talk to you soon. Thanks for having us, Matt. And I appreciate you sharing your story with us. All right. Thanks. Thank it's you. been awesome. It's been awesome. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Veterinary Pulse. Please check the episode notes for additional information referenced in the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, subscribe, and share review. We welcome feedback and hope you will tune in again. You can find out more about the VIN Foundation through our website, vinfoundation.org, and our social media channels. Thank you for being here. Be well.